am being online bullied. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the tea for this week. <laughs> so. Uh, so, well, so am I. Welcome Frankly. back. <laughs> Sorry. Welcome back to Paranormal. I'm one of your hosts, Marie. And I'm your other host and emotionally scarred <laughs> individual, Nicolina. And for those of you who are brand new to our podcast, this is not an investigative paranormal podcast. It is a fun, lighthearted paranormal podcast where we tell each other true ghost stories like we're at a sleepover with our best friends. Uh, And the reason why we're reminding people of that is because we're being online bullied. You guys don't like to hear us laugh, apparently. You don't like Specifically joy. me. Specifically my laugh. I mean, I think sometimes I get pretty rowdy, too. Okay, well, let's just get straight into it. Guys, we got, we got like, too bad. We had two messages from people. Yeah, they were... One was a bad review, specifically taking issue with my laugh. So I apologize. <laughs> no, I'm going to get right into it really quick. I apologize for my laugh. It's something I've been self-conscious of since I was a child. Um, I know it's cackly. I know it's witchy. I think it lends to our theme (laughs) theme here. Of the podcast, guys. Also, to the people who wrote to us about my laugh specifically, you're wrong. And I have proof that you're wrong. And I brought it with me. And Nicolina doesn't even know that I brought proof with me. I bring with me the 2003 Bishop Ryan Griffin, (laughs) which is our high school yearbook. And I quote, Hey, Marie. Hope you have a great year. Never stop laughing because I love your laugh. Love you always. Leslie Ivanak, number zero, zero. And let me tell you something. Although Leslie Ivanak and I did not keep in touch after high school, she was not a liar in high school. I can tell you. She was not. I can verify that. She was a very pleasant girl. And that's the tea. So... But re- really, though, guys, for people who do like our podcast and who are listening and who are laughing along with us while we talk about this, um, take five seconds, run to your podcast app, and leave us a five-star review. Even just a couple words saying, I love this podcast, or I love Marie's laugh would make my day. <laughs> it's true. Also, I'd like to address a review that I received. Oh, God. As well. (laughs) So I said something about a year ago. It was a very, you know. A year ago. About a year ago. Maybe a year and a half ago now. um, That I deeply regret now saying on this podcast. (laughs) Because it has come back to haunt me on numerous occasions. However, some people find it quite entertaining. I think it's hilarious. And um, actually appreciated my candor. However, other people apparently just cannot make it through 15 minutes to get past it because it affected them so significantly, so significantly. that the rest of the episode was ruined. was ruined because I made a comment about something that I had done and also that I was going to marry wealthy and cheat on my husband, which was a joke. <laughs> it was a joke. <laughs> You know, I was I feel like single we at the time, yeah. and I was just making a funny. Yeah, basically, yeah. And I really hope that our listeners know that we <laughs> are being sardonic 
on like 98% of the time in this podcast when we're not reading the actual stories. And even then sometimes we're being sarcastic. So yes, I think it's important that you address to what it was that you said. It was, it was a, it was an experience that I had when I was on vacation and it was with another, it was an encounter I had with With a consenting adult, a consenting adult. That's all we have to say about it. Um, and people did not appreciate it. Or it scarred them very deeply, apparently. It, it has also scarred me. Imagine how I feel. So. <laughs> I can't laugh normally anymore on this podcast. She's doing her best, guys. She's really trying hard. Okay. Well, now that we've p- passed that, um, we've addressed those issues, those very serious issues that people have with our... Um, Laugh. Our laughter and our banter. Uh, uh, yeah. We are going to now introduce um, today's theme. Yeah. Of the podcast. Yes. Which is true crime ghost stories. So mm-hmm. elements of true crime and elements of hauntings. Yep. And I'm excited about it because those are my two favorite two entertaining favorite things. things. So the reason why we chose this topic for the week was because of a very special guest that we recently interviewed and will be on our next Hometown Haunts episode. Yes, and you can have access to it early by going to our Patreon and donating to our Patreon. Next week, we have Vince Averill on the podcast. He's a podcaster from the uh, We Watch Wrestling podcast, Mm -hmm. and uh, his wife is a podcaster. She has a very popular true crime podcast, and a very famous someone joins us on the episode, and I'm not going to ruin it. For our Patreons, they will be able to see who that special someone is on Thursday, mm-hmm. November 5th, with the early access video that we took um, during our interview with Vince. Yeah. So head on over there if yeah. you would like to see. Speaking of Patreon and speaking of November 5th, for all of our patrons, today this episode comes out on November 5th. And tonight we are going to be having a live Q&A again with all of our patrons on any tier. Everyone that donates is welcome to join. So if you guys want to join the live Q&A, run over to our Patreon click the donate button or become a patron button you can donate as little as one dollar a month and you can have access to all of our cool interviews early and you get to have a Q&A with us once a month that everybody gets to join and everybody gets to talk and ask questions it's a lot of fun we killed it last time we had a ton of so much fun yeah absolutely okay so first and foremost we will do our horoscopes Mm -hmm. and then move on to our Stories for the episode. All right, cool. You go first. Okay, I will go first. Mm -hmm. Gemini, you tend to live your life vicariously through your partner. Today, you may come to the realization that this isn't healthy for you. You may realize that you give more of yourself than you get back, draining you of energy. In fact, you're almost completely out. Be selfish today. You need to do something for you for once, and it's about time. This is so, the beginning of this is so off base. Yeah, I, I do not live vicariously through <laughs> Stephen. Uh, he, if anything, lives vicariously through me because obviously I am a hot commodity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no. She just found out that her moon and rising are Leo. So she's like really <laughs> on top of the world right now. Um, and I mean, the the last part of it is definitely true. I believe you and I just had a conversation about how mm-hmm. like 
I do feel like just completely drained. I feel like a lot of people come to me to like vent or like, and, and I just like get, I suck in that energy. Like, I don't know what, I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, and yes, I give a lot. I give way more of myself than I ask of people. And today was no exception. Unfortunately, I did not read my horoscope this morning. Um, (laughs) Today, my day was solely dedicated to other people. I did not one thing for myself, except this. This is for me. And this is my... And still yet, it's for others. And still yet, it's for you guys too. (laughs) And I love you for that. Uh, Anyway, yeah. Okay, cool. Let's move on to Leo. Okay. So, Leo... You hide your emotional needs from others. You need to be able to trust someone in order to share your feelings. They have to guess at your deepest secrets. Today, you could save a lot of time in your love life if you just tell your partner what you want out of your relationship or even what you'd like to change about it. Talk about it. Your partner is listening. That's funny because it's like almost the polar opposite, I feel, of your horoscope. I agree. I am very... Um, secretive not secretive but just uh I try to hold my cards to my chest when it comes to my wants and needs and stuff like that I don't really I'm not I'm not really vocal about it which is weird for someone who has an extroverted personality but I just it's not in my nature to just like make spell it out for people you know yeah um but luckily I actually have a partner who's pretty uh, in line with me on what we kind of want and need out of each other Yep. So I I really don't think I need to spell it out too much. He's pretty intuitive. He knows when I'm like being pissy about something and and will react accordingly, <laughs> like address it accordingly. I pretty much vocalize all the good things. So that's when I'm not vocalizing things. That's a pretty good indication yes. that something's wrong. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Anyway. All right. All right. Let's get into our stories. So in this episode of basically true crime and ghost stories, I have chosen the story of Nell Cropsey. I got my information from NorthCarolinaGhost.com. Okay. The ghost of Nell Cropsey. New York Daily News. Justice Story. Restless ghost of drowned Nell Cropsey said to haunt site of her mysterious death. And AmericanHauntingSync.com. It is called Dead Women Do Tell Tales, The Lingering Ghost of Nell Cropsey. And also, conveniently, this month is the anniversary of Nell Cropsey's death. So what better way to pay respects to the deceased than with an episode in her name? Wow. Yes. On the night of November 20th, 1901, a young woman named Ella M. Cropsey called Nell by her family and friends, disappeared forever from Seven Pines, her family's mansion in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. 37 days later, her body was found floating in the Pasquotank River. She had been brutally murdered. Some swear her restless spirit continues to rattle around Seven Pines overlooking the river. So, who killed Nell? The story of Nell Cropsey remains one of the strange tales of murders in the state's history, and perhaps the unanswered questions that still surround the case are the reason why Nell's ghost still haunts her family home today. Nell Maud Cropsey, born in July 1882, lived in Brooklyn, New York. In 1898, 
Her father, William, a merchant and a member of one of the area's oldest clans, packed up his family and moved south. They moved into a 65-acre farm, and William became a judge in Pasquotank County this and is, quickly became a success. Sorry, I was just going to say, that is my dream. Like Just, oh, <laughs> just moving move from the city, move to a farm, get the hell out of here. Become a judge. <laughs> Become a judge. <laughs> I'd love to. I judge Judy. <laughs> Cropsey's two eldest daughters, Olive, known as Ollie, 19, and Ella, known as Nell, 16, happily settled into their new home and became quite well known in the area. They were both beautiful girls and had more than their share of suitors. Olive began a relationship with a man named Roy Crawford, while Nell was courted by Jim Wilcox, the son of the local sheriff. By 1901, Nell and Jim had been together nearly two years and were talking about marriage. However, Wilcox, whose family had fallen on hard times, was laboring in a lumber mill by day and studying law through a correspondence school by night, and was in no hurry to start a family. It said that Nell was growing impatient with Jim Wilcox's hesitancy to propose, so she began flirting with other men in public in an attempt to spurn Wilcox into proposing. But her plan seems to have gone awry. Well, yeah, we all know that doesn't work all the time. No. Also, they had been dating for like two years. She was 16 when they met. Hmm. She was really, I mean, I I know 1901 was a different time, but. Yeah, it was. I get it. I'm just 18, just raring to go on that marriage. My eggs are drying up. Wow, yeah. (laughs) I didn't even know what to cook eggs at 18. (laughs) Anyway. By the fall of 1901, the couple was constantly bickering. In November, after a particularly nasty spat at the Cropsey home, Wilcox grabbed his hat and stormed out. It looked like he was gone for good. Once you grab the hat, it's really, it's really over yeah. then. It's really for, uh, gone for good. But yet, just a few weeks later, on November 20th, he knocked at the Cropsey door. Ollie opened it and welcomed Jim in. Nell was there, as was Crawford, and a cousin from Brooklyn, Carrie Cropsey. The group spent the evening exchanging lighthearted banter, which soon turned into morbid speak of suicide. Wilcox said he'd prefer to drown, while Nell said she'd rather freeze. If I had a dime for every time, I, my nights turned, turned into, into speak of suicide. Wow. Not even not that, but like, how would you like to die? Like, I, I, I don't know if any of my nights have ever turned into that. No, I'm joking. No, I know you're joking. I'm I'm just genuinely like wondering how that could have happened. Yeah, that conversation know. turned. Anywho, know. around 11 p.m., Jim stood up and asked Nell to join him on the front porch to talk. Everyone else in the house except for Olive and Roy were asleep. About a half hour later, Ollie heard something bang against the back of the house and assumed that Nell had come back into the house and gone to bed. Going out to investigate, she found that the screen door had been broken. She saw no sign of who or what had broken the door. Ollie then went upstairs to see if Nell was already in bed, but found her sister's room empty. She assumed Nell was still with Jim and went to sleep. Roy Crawford also left the house and saw no one outside. A little after midnight, everyone in the house was awakened to the sounds of dogs barking, pigs squealing, and a voice yelling, Someone's after your pigs. William Cropsey dashed outside with his rifle but found nothing. 
On his way back to bed, he decided to check on Nell. Her room was empty. By morning, William Cropsey was not convinced that his daughter had run away. Nell had been excited about an upcoming trip to New York. None of her belongings were missing. Her clothing and suitcases were still in the closet. William was sure something was wrong. He went to the home of Sheriff Wilcox to ask questions. Jim had been the last one to see Nell that night. Perhaps he had some idea of where she might be. When he arrived, Jim was home, but refused to come to the parlor and speak with Nell's father. Oh, boy. Hmm. Angry and alarmed, William went to see the chief of police. The authorities forced Jim Wilcox to return to the Cropsey home, and they questioned him for hours. Despite pleas from Mary and Olive, Jim refused to tell them anything. All that he would say was that he had left Nell crying on the front porch after a 10-minute conversation. Liar. He refused to say why the young woman was crying, what the conversation was about, or where he had gone after he left the Cropsey home. A massive hunt for Nell began as volunteers searched throughout the town, along the river and in a place called the Dismal Swamp. Cropsey hired a top teen of bloodhounds who successfully followed Nell's movements to every place that she was known to have been in the previous days, but they found no fresh trail beyond the porch. Wilcox said that she probably had killed herself, a theory her father rejected. The girl never committed suicide, he told reporters. She was bright, happy, and health-minded. My girl was carried off the porch, and Jim Wilcox knows all about it. Yeah, I believe it. In the early hours of December 27th, five weeks after she disappeared, Mrs. Cropsey spotted something floating in the Pasquatank River near the family home. Oh, boy. Sending some boatmen out to investigate, she crushingly realized that her long vigil was over. What she had seen floating in the river was her daughter's body about 40 feet from her home. Yeah, I, the yeah. thought of like a mother finding their own child murdered Very is sad. so upsetting. The coroner's jury ruled she died from a blow to the head and that it was murder. With no other suspects, police immediately arrested Wilcox and locked him up. The governor had to send the Naval Reserve to protect him from a lynch mob. Wilcox went on trial in March 1902, was quickly found guilty, and sentenced to hang. Courtroom spectators cheered so loudly at the sentence that it actually led to a mistrial. The state Supreme Court decided that public sentiment against Wilcox was so strong that no trial could have been fair. Also, it didn't help that the prosecution had no real evidence against him. Right. Still, the verdict was the same after his second trial. This time, he was sentenced to 30 years. However, in one of the most astounding occurrences in the case, a few days before Nell's body was discovered, the family had received a letter with a New York postmark containing what claimed to be a detailed account of the events of the night of Nell's disappearance. The letter stated that Nell Cropsey had interrupted a vagrant attempting to steal the family pig. Upon being discovered, the man grabbed a heavy stick and knocked Nell unconscious. The unknown man carried Nell down to the river and stole a covenant boat. He rowed out into the river and dumped Nell Cropsey in the river. The letter included a map which marked the spot where her body could be found. The spot marked on the map was very close to where Nell Cropsey's body was eventually discovered. Who sent this letter, and if the events it recounts were what truly happened that night, may remain unknown to this day. I 
I'm confused. Did it say in there, like back then, was there a way to date these letters to like with a post, like a postage stamp or anything like that? I honestly don't know. Like of when it was sent? I'm just thinking, how did somebody from New York... That's what I mean. Like, could someone have been traveling through New York? Her cousin from Brooklyn was there at the time. Right. So... But then did she go home, write the letter, send it? Like... Very odd. So in the decades that followed, rumors about who really killed Nell Cropsey continued to swirl. One theory was that she had been shot by her father, who mistook her for a vagrant trying to steal a hog. I don't believe that. I don't believe that either. And there would have been evidence of someone shooting her. Yes. So anyway, there was no, the coroner would have said that. Yeah. Another notion was that she had died at the hands of her sister's suitor, Roy Crawford. Okay. Still don't understand any motive for that, but. I don't know. Men back then, I don't even know. Men today, too. Yeah, yeah. men today. I don't (laughs) know. Um, and then still another was that she had been murdered by a stranger who was literally just trying to steal their pig. Okay. I, I can see this happening, but also the person sending the letter from New York, like if you knew those details, okay. So how, first of all, how'd you know that? Second of all, if you knew that, why didn't you just say something? It's not like you were implementing somebody like incriminating someone else. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know. I so I'm not buying that story. I I find that odd. Like unless Jim Wilcox literally was like, I'm going to go to New York and send this letter. Like, I don't think that's possible. So I think honestly, the most plausible account other than Jim Wilcox murdering her. Right. Was the stranger account. What if Jim was trying to steal the pig (laughs) and then she yelled out. I don't think he needed a pig. Well, you never know. I mean, maybe he was maybe. just like, I have a real hankering for bacon tomorrow and I don't have a pig. You should have been his defense lawyer. I should have been a detective. <laughs> I, I actually, no, that wouldn't have helped him. I'm sorry. I don't even know. Anyway, okay, 10 years passed and Elizabeth City citizens, once so convinced of Wilcox's guilt, um, that they were screaming to lynch him, had second thoughts. A petition seeking pardon or parole for him gathered hundreds of signatures. In 1918, after 15 years behind bars as a model prisoner, Wilcox earned a pardon. In the early 1930s, he told W.O. Sanders, the editor of the Elizabeth City Independent, that he wanted to talk about what really happened. But it was not to be. In 1934, Wilcox went home and shot himself. A tragic derelict was what the newspapers called him. Saunders died in a car accident not that long after. Damn. For the past century, those who have lived in the former Cropsey home have reported strange occurrences. Lights go on and off, doors open and shut, water rushes from the sink even when no one turns the handle. And strange cold gusts of air waft through the house without explanation. Some reports also include sightings of a pale young woman who has been seen walking across empty rooms. People passing by on the street have seen the same pale figure looking wistfully from an upstairs window. One resident claimed to recognize Nell when she awoke and saw the murdered girl standing at the foot of her bed one night. No. No, thank you. (laughs) Another eerie and tragic turn from this tale is that three of the people who were in the house that night Nell was killed ended up committing suicide. No fucking way after they had that conversation about Mm -hmm. suicide. Yep. Perhaps feeling the ghost of Nell lurking around searching for answers or for vengeance, 
Um, So there may indeed be more to this story that is yet to be uncovered. Her lingering presence reminds us that she never truly received the justice that she deserved, but because she still walks, her story will never be forgotten. And maybe one day the truth will come out. And that's the story of Nalcropsy. Oh, that was a good one, Nick. Good job. Thanks. All right. So for my true crime slash murder pod uh, story. <laughs> Sorry. I, got I know. I got, I got a little delayed uh, on that too. Trying to spit that one, spit that one out. Um, I'm going to do the Lizzie Borden house. Ooh. Yeah. So that one's going to be a very shock that we haven't done this one. Right. I'm glad we haven't. Cause I found my, uh, story. Um, <laughs> so I got my information from a blog called novel suspects, a rolling stone article, um, history.com and hauntedhouses.com. Nice. So the Lizzie Borden house in Fall River, Massachusetts, is the site of one of the country's most infamous crimes. Andrew and Abby Borden were murdered with an axe in 1892, and Andrew's daughter, Lizzie, was tried, but she was also acquitted of the crime. Okay. Mm -hmm. The facts of the case are pretty straightforward. In August of 1892, prominent Fall River residents, Andrew and Abby Borden, were brutally murdered in their home Each had received multiple blows to the head with a hatchet. Andrew was discovered in a pool of blood on the living room couch. His face had almost been split in two. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. And his wife, Abby, was upstairs. Her head was smashed to pieces and it was later determined that she was killed first. Okay. The only serious suspect was Andrew's 32-year-old daughter, Lizzie, who was at the house during the killings. His other daughter, Emma, was out of town, and their live-in maid, Bridget Sullivan, was in her third-floor bedroom, resting from a morning of window washing and vomiting, because that day she had eaten mutton stew, and it turned out that the stew had been spoiled. Gross. Right. But the finer details of the Borden murders were hazy from the beginning, starting with when thousands of curious townspeople visited the crime scene and unintentionally tampered with the evidence. Why? Because it's 1892. Right. <laughs> Why? There's nothing Dumb else question. to do. Dumb question. <laughs> Lizzie's testimonies were inconsistent, but this was probably because she was prescribed morphine after the murders to help calm her down, obviously. But I I still don't know if she's innocent. Mm -hmm. Um, The evidence that the prosecution presented against Lizzie was circumstantial. It was alleged that she tried to buy poison the day before the murders and that she burned one of her dresses a few days after the murders. And even though fingerprint testing was becoming like more common in Europe at, yep. the, at the time, mm-hmm. the Fall River police weren't really sure about its reliability. So they decided that they weren't going to test for fingerprints on the potential murder weapon, which was a hatchet that was found in their basement. Okay. The fact that no blood was found on Lizzie, as well as her well-bred Christian persona, ended up convincing the all-male jury that she was incapable of the crime, and so they acquitted her. Okay, so they and just I'm felt like, bad women for her? are capable, yeah. but also she got off. So. <laughs> 
they're just like, she's not strong enough to, you know, bludgeon someone with a hatchet. And I'm like, that just she was. Um, the home has is now a bed and breakfast and it's a museum which is like super bizarre to me very bizarre but like I can't think of like could you like I don't know I'm trying to think like the Chris like we've turned the Chris Watts home into a bed and breakfast and museum like you know like it's just weird that's very morbid um I mean I know that this is you know hundreds of years like it's or not hundreds but it's 1892 like it's far enough removed that it doesn't bother people but it would bother me like it would I, I wouldn't be okay whatever anyway so Apparently, the bed and breakfast is super charming and well run, but it does feel like the spirits are restless and there's an uneasiness that can be picked up by anybody that stays there. No guest has ever been hurt there and nobody has ever left in the middle of the night. So the spirits are polite, but they do make their presence known to the living. It seems that the Borden family and their maid are still living in the, or not living, but are still in the residence. Mm Mm-hmm. The entity of Mr. Andrew Borden apparently enjoys watching the activity of people that are visiting the home, and he has started to answer EVP questions. He mainly goes about his business doing what he used to do while he was alive when people see his apparition. The entity of his wife, Mrs. Abby Borden, is seemingly all located in the guest bedroom, which is now called the John Morse Room. Apparently, an indentation of a body on the room's bed was discovered by a staff member, like someone had just laid on top of it, one month after renovations and refurnishings in the home were completed. It said that cries can be heard while people are in that room as well. She's also been seen happily puttering around the home, seemingly busy with her affairs. Mm-hmm. An apparition of a woman that looks like Lizzie has been seen in the basement, looking around the basement, perhaps like looking like she's trying to dispose of all the evidence or like making sure she's disposed of everything. And the entity of Bridget Sullivan is still trying to tell us what happened. An EVP recording that was captured by a paranormal investigator revealed a horrified scream and then a woman saying, ma'am, come quick. Right. I think I've seen that like, i don't know if was i it have yet by either, like ghost hunters or whatever it could like have been typical i don't i yeah not sure cold spots are reported in maggie's room or that's bridget so bridget goes by maggie as well mm-hmm. um and an apparition of a woman dressed in maid's clothing is seen doing her chores around the house so it's also said that before mrs borden was killed she had found uh bridget the maid yeah she had found the maid's cat in the basement and its head had been hacked off which is like animal cruelty is something i am not okay with i can watch all the true crime stuff in the world but when they start talking about people hurting animals i'm like i want i'm gonna like vomit um but so this happened to the, the cat um and per like basically people are people think that like whoever killed them was practicing for when they kill a human a human yes and people have even seen the ghost of the cat in the house oh wow so sometimes you can hear a disembodied cat's meow and the cat is apparently still very friendly even though it met its demise at the hands of a disgusting human being Um, and it'll rub up against people that it likes in the second and third floor bedrooms i know 
Owners of the home have had some experiences there. The lights seemingly have a mind of their own. They'll turn on and off. The owners would be in a room and right in front of them, not just the lights turning on and off, but they could see the light switch flicking on and off. Oh, like they can physically see it go up and down. Mm -hmm. Wow. When no one was upstairs on the second and third floors, the owners and their staff would hear the doors open and close, followed by footsteps. Shadow people have been seen, especially on the staircase going down to the main hallway and walking into other parts of the house. And the owners of the home have seen shadow people move around in different parts of the house as well. Sometimes staff and guests can feel someone brush against them on the stairs and in various parts of the house. And a shadow of a woman and an actual apparition that looks like Lizzie has been seen in the basement by all of the owners. So everyone that has ever owned that house has seen Lizzie or at least someone that looks very much like her in the basement. And the staff has all seen her in the basement and some guests have seen her in the basement. Disembodied voices can be heard, and there was an owner named Leanne Wilbur who felt the cold touch of a finger run down her back. When she quickly turned around, there was nobody there. Gross. Mm -hmm. And apparently there's entities of two young children in the house. Um, They've been seen by people in various parts of the house, and they've been heard playing marbles. Sometime in the home's history, there were two children that had drowned in the... um, like the well, oh, their dear. water, yeah. Before, after Lizzie Borden, I, I d- it wasn't clear. Okay, um, but yes, there's photos of misty human forms there that have been taken in the living room where Andrew Borden was hacked to death. And in 2007, a paranormal group member saw with her own eyes the second time that it had happened that she, they had set up a camera and the camera started moving like started moving the camera was turned towards them and then the camera started moving on its own okay evps of um or evps have been caught on recording devices evps of lizzie and bridget were caught on recorders on the on an episode of ghost lab the investigators got a very interesting evp when asked the question did lizzie kill you for your money a male voice answered you got that right wow yeah what yeah that's when i was like maybe she did kill them um and there's a youtube video and in it what looks like the apparition of andrew borden uh is pointed out in a crime scene photo located on the far left looking at his own body so yeah so like there's a video so they took crime scene photos and so somebody like was like doing a YouTube video mm-hmm. of it. And in the side of one of the crime scene photos, it looks like his spirit is looking at his own body. Um, so the home is still very obviously haunted. You can stay there if you guys want, but seriously, count me out unless you want to pay me to stay there as well as give me money to sleep there. Seriously, no, Like pay you. for my stay and then also give me $200 for my pain and suffering and I'll go stay there. Yeah, but actually, yeah. I would like four hundred. Yes, that was not enough money. <laughs> I want four hundred dollars, and that's the crazy. Yeah, true I didn't crime and haunting. There were so of... many ghosts of that home. Mm-hmm. I know. Wasn't American Horror Story season one based on part of that? It may the maid have or something. Been. I'm not sure. I can't be sure. The maid. 
uh, I'm trying to think. I watched, I've watched every American Horror Story, but I don't remember anyone ever being hacked with a hatchet in that one. They did, they did the Black Dahlia in that. that. Was it. Yeah, that was who there I was, was thinking there of. were many different things. There was like Columbine was in that. Like there were so many yes. different. I know they took different elements. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Of multiple. It was stories. good though. It, was yeah. like, it had me hooked. I loved it. Yeah. Anyway. All right. All right. Well, time for some fuck Mary kills. Let's do it. As you guys know, we do not do murderers as our fuck Mary kills. No, we so have strict no murder policy. We are going to do something close to that, and that's Scorpios. Because. <laughs> No one really likes Scorpios. However, the list of Scorpios that I found were way cooler than I expected them to be. I actually, I don't know if it's a Gemini thing, but I I really get along with Scorpios. Scorpios are very much akin to one another. I really do love Scorpios. That is funny because that is a thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Also, Scorpios apparently are very good looking because I've got... Three right? fuck Mary kills that are like legitimate fuck Mary Ooh, kills. Okay, okay, give me them. All right, give me them now. Leonardo DiCaprio. <sighs> yep. Ryan Gosling. Oh God, yeah. Matthew McConaughey. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill Leo, and I'm gonna tell you why. Oh. I'm gonna tell you why. I know my first instinct was to kill McConaughey because mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm, the one I'm was least mine. attracted to. But from what I know, I could be wrong. So you guys just write in and let us know. I don't think there's anything problematic about Matthew McConaughey. Oh, I don't know about that. I can't think of any problematic stories that I've heard about him. Um, I have, but they okay. were on blind gossip sites, so they may not okay. be true. But Leo has a history of dating women who are far too young for him, and I just don't really like that. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, I, I mean, mean, they are legal. Uh, yes, but there's uh, like let's all like <laughs> let's also talk about how I mean we don't have to get into it, but no. what I'm saying is if like if you're 60 and you're or 50 and mm-hmm. you're dating a 22 year old, that's that's still not okay. Like I know off. it's legal, but it's like when people there. are like, "Well, she's 18." Like yeah, it's that's not right. still gross. Yeah. That's still. I'm not saying icky. I'm saying like there's still a power dynamic there. I agree. That's not equal. I agree to and that. It's, and it's it, it's legal. Yes, I'm not saying it's illegal. Mm-hmm. I'm not in any way saying that. I'm just saying there's a power dynamic that's problematic there for me. I do agree with that. So that's all. So for that reason, he's gonna go. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck Ryan Gosling, mm-hmm. and I'll marry Matthew McConaughey. Okay, yeah, I would. Um, so that he can speak sweetly to me in a Lincoln. That's fair. Well, I'm gonna I marry Ryan Gosling. With Ryan. Okay, yeah, for sure, one thousand percent. Um, I am going to fuck Matthew McConaughey mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kill also Leo. kill Leo. Yeah, just wow. because I'm not overly attracted to Leo. Wow, I am. Like, I I mean, not today's Leo, but like, he, I feel like my one of my sexual awakenings was probably Titanic for sure, right? I, I was like, never, I was never a big Leo. Actually, even aficionado. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I did find Matthew McConaughey like my one of my top like favorite movies is How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, and oh, it's 
Yeah. I loved him in that. That's a and, great movie. But I don't think I'd want to marry him. He's a bit too much of a personality for yeah. me. Yeah. That's a great premise for a movie too. Like a lot of movies. Perfect like, premise. A lot of, like a lot of premises for movies are recycled, I feel. You know what I mean? Yes. Like a very Romeo, Juliet type mm-hmm. thing. Just different mm-hmm. characters, different situations in different cities. Um, but that one was so very different. Very original. Very good. Very original. Um, okay. Okay. So. Ask your Mine. three Scorpios are Jimmy Kimmel. Perfect. Uh, um, Goldie Hawn. Mm-hmm. And Katy Perry. Okay. Tough. Mm-hmm. I am going to kill Goldie Hawn. Just because she's the eldest of them all. That's fine. She's and lived I a good life. I feel like she's lived a great <laughs> life. That's the only reason why. I really am a huge Goldie Hound fan. Oh my God. Okay. Um, Me too. I yes. will have sex with Katy Perry. Yeah. Because she has some voluptuous bosoms and I am very jealous of them. Tell me about it. Yeah. Oh. And I will marry Jimmy Kimmel because he just seems like he's a great partner. Yeah. I think I'm going to do the same. Mm-hmm. I think a minor. Yeah. The same. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. I think that's really the, the right way. Yeah. I think so too. The natural way. The natural way. The natural course <laughs> of life. I just feel bad about <laughs> killing Goldie Hawn. I know. But yeah. I know. All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning into another awesome episode of Paranormal. Listen next week for our very special interview, which is going to be up early for our patrons. That'll be up today for our patrons yep don't forget about our live q a on the tonight. 5th tonight <laughs> yeah tonight um and which will now be on youtube live yes the link will be on our patreon you guys can find it there super excited to do that with you guys and uh please rate review and subscribe and please review review is the big 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 one right just like even a five word review Please. Yes. We love please. you. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. And That's stay- showbiz. <laughs> stay spooky. Bye, guys.